Hey everybody, welcome to the Chase Talks Hip Hop Podcast And I just want to say thank you to all my listeners And before anything happens, please like, subscribe, leave a 5 star review Show some love for your boy out here I appreciate everything, let's get into the show Hey everybody, I would like to thank StereotypeCo.com for officially sponsoring the podcast and looking out for your boy Chase. And I want to thank them for making awesome clothing, making great content, blogs, conducting awesome interviews. It's a really great platform and I would love it if the Chase Talks Hip Hop family could extend an arm and meet up and please, please support StereotypeCo.com. The reason I support them so heavy is because they support me heavy and i appreciate everything that they do to look out for me i love the clothing i love uh, what dave noodles has done to build the company it's really something i can stand behind and i think it's something you should check out so please if you're tired of me talking about it click the link below and check out stereotypeco.com for awesome awesome content and awesome awesome merch thank you I think we might have stabilized everything. But how the fuck am I gonna follow this? Uh, 25 centimeter jam alive. Picking the lock, mama, look at me now. Broken with the chip and a smile. Landscape truck, I be whipping the style. Cutting the grass, I've been ripping the weeds. Triple entendre, I get like a fiend. Lost on the track, better come with the heat. It's soaking the knowledge I learned from elite lyricists to keep feeding the streets. Gold is a mentality, we keep shining. Popping the tape if you're feeling this iron. Armstrong, I. Alright, everybody. This is the Chase Talks Hip Hop Podcast. And if you're here, I'm assuming you're here to listen to Legends Nas. And for my introduction, I just want to say I'm working on quite a bit. Uh, dropping new music video, dropping dropping everything today, pretty much. Um, so uh, I just want to, you know, let you guys know the music video for Back to My Way should be out by the time you get a hold of this podcast. And... As far as this whole entire show regarding Nas, like, I'm very excited to break into this a little bit. I've done legend segments for a lot of great artists, big top five hip-hop artists, and uh, I think it's a shame I haven't gotten to Nas. And It's been around 300 episodes. I've talked about him quite a bit, but I'm very familiar with his discography. I'm very uh, invested in uh, the stuff he's made, so I think we're going to have a good time. And two, like... I think with um, the career of Nas, like everything you have to look at is, is uh, he's really gone through it all. He's had the ups, the downs. He's he's seen the full spectrum of what hip hop could could offer him, and I think the endearing thing about him is how he's able to evolve generation after generation, and that's why I salute Nas, and I'm very excited to do this, and and basically. I'm just again. I'm I between recording all this, staying active, etc. I'm um I'm trying to be better about uh, keeping up with posting on social media, all of that good stuff. All that stuff I've I, I made a resolution to work on, be more consistent in that area. But really, you know, this whole entire show is about paying tribute, giving flowers to the people uh, while they can still smell them, and. Nas is very much such an integral art, an integral, integral artist to uh, hip hop. You know, he's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. He's done so much, and I I think that no matter how I introduce the show, it really won't do much justice. 
But uh, I'm going to get right into everybody. This is Legends Nas. And how it's going to work is I'm going to break down his life, his biography. I might include some interviews, etc. So you could get some get some information from the man himself. But anyway, I'm going to just jump into it. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you later. Nasir Ben Oludera Jones was born in the Brooklyn borough of New York City on September 14, 1973 to African-American parents. His father, Oludera, born Charles Jones III, is a jazz and blues musician from Mississippi. His mother, Fanny Ann, 1941 to 2002, was a U.S. Postal Service worker from North Carolina. He has a brother, Jabari Fred, who raps under the name Jungle and is a member of hip-hop group Bravehearts. His father adopted the name Olu Dara from the Yoruba people. Nasir is an Arabic name meaning helper and protector, while Ben means son, uh, son of in Arabic. As a young child, Nas and his family relocated to the Queensbridge houses in the borough of Queens. His neighbor, Willie Ilwell Graham, influenced his interest in hip-hop by playing him records. His parents divorced in 1985, and he dropped out of school after the 8th grade. He educated himself about African-American African culture through the 5% Nation, a splinter group of the Nation of Islam, and the Nuwabian Nation. In his, er, in, uh, yeah, Nuwabian Nation. in his early years, he played the trumpet and began writing his own rhymes. Underground Beginnings and Illmatic, 1989-1994. As a teenager, Nas enlisted his best friend and upstairs neighbor, Willie Ilwell Graham, as his DJ. Nas initially went by the nickname Kid Wave before adopting his more commonly known alias of Nasty Nas. In 1989, then-16-year-old Nas met up with producer Large Professor and went to the studio where Rakim and Cool G Wet Rap were recording their albums. When they were not in the recording studio, Nas would go to the booth and record his own material. However, none of it was ever released. In 1991, Nas performed on Main Sources Live at the Barbecue, also produced by Large Professor. In mid-1992, Nas was approached by MC Search of Third Base, who became his manager and secured Nas a record deal with Columbia Records during the same year. Nas made his solo debut under the name of Nasty Nas on the single Halftime from MC Search's soundtrack for the film Zebrahead, called the new rat kim called the new rock kim his rhyming skills attracted a significant amount of attention within the hip-hop community in 1994 nas's debut album illmatic was released it featured production from large professor pete rock q-tip les and dj premier as well as guest appearances from nas's friend az and his father olu dara the album spawned several singles including the world is yours it ain't hard to tell and one love shaheem reed of mt new mtv news called Illmatic the first classic LP of 1994. In 1994, Nas also recorded the song One on One for the soundtrack to the film Street Fighter. In his book, To the Break of Dime, a freestyle and this hip-hop aesthetic, Willem Jelani Cobb writes of Nas's impact at the time. Nas, the poetic sage of the Queensbridge Projects, was hailed as the second coming of Rakim, as if he first had reached the expiration, as if 
for as if the first had reached his expiration date. Nas never became the next Rakim, nor did he really have to. Illmatic stood on its own terms. The sublime lyricism of the CD, combined with the fact that it was delivered into the crucible in the boiling west east-west conflict, quickly solidified his reputation as the premier writer of his time. Illmatic was awarded Best Album of 1994 by The Source. Steve Huey of All, of All Music described Nas's lyrics on Illmatic as highly literate and his rap super, super, superbly fluid regardless of the size of his vocabulary. Adding that Nas is able to evoke the bleak reality of ghetto life without losing a hope or forgetting the good times. About.com ranked, ranked Illmatic as the greatest hip-hop album of all time and Prefix Magazine raised it, uh, praised it as the best hip-hop record ever made transition to mainstream direction and the firm 1994 1998 in 1995 Nas did guest appearances on the albums do or die by AZ the infamous by the infamous mob deep only built for Cuban links by Raekwon and four five six by cool G rap Nas also parted ways with manager MC search enlisted Steve Stout and began preparation for his second album it was written the album was chiefly produced by Tone and Poke of the Trackmasters, and Nas consciously worked towards a crossover-oriented sound. Columbia Records had begun to pressure Nas to work towards more commercial topics, such as that of the notorious of the notorious B.I.G., who had become successful by releasing street singles that still remained radio that still retained radio-friendly appeal. The album also expanded on Nas's Escobar persona, who lived a Scarface slash casino-esque lifestyle. On the other hand, references to Scar face protagonist Tony Montana notwithstanding. Illmatic was more about his early life growing up in the projects. It was written was released in mid-1996. Two singles, If I Ruled the World with uh, Lauren Hill the Fugees and Street Dreams including a remix with R. Kelly were instant hits. These songs were promoted by big budget music videos directed by Hype Williams, making Nas a common name among mainstream hip hop. Reviewing it was written, Leo Stanley of All Music believed the album's rhymes were not as complex as those of Illmatic, but still thought Nas had deepened his talents, creating a complex series of rhymes that not only flow, but managed to tell to tell coherent stories as well. It was written, featured the debut of The Firm, a supergroup consisting of Nas, AZ, Foxy Brown, and Mega. Signed to Dr. Dre's Aftermath Entertainment label, the firm began working on their debut album. Halfway through the production of the album, Cormega was fired from the group by Steve Stout. Cormega, la la la, who had successfully, uh, who had unsuccessfully attempted to force Cormega to sign a deal with his management company. Cormega subsequently became one of Nas's most vocal opponents and released a number of underground hip-hop singles dissing Nas, Stout, and Nature, who replaced Cormega as the fourth member of the firm. Nas, Foxy Brown, AZ, and Nature present the firm. The album was originally released in 97 to mix reviews. The album failed to live up to its expected sales, being despite being certified platinum and the members of the group disbanded to go their separate ways. During this period, Nas was also one of the rappers uh, the others being Be Real and KRS-One and RBX in the hip-hop supergroup Group Therapy who appeared on the song East Coast, West Coast Killers from Dr. Dre, The Aftermath. Okay, kommen wir jetzt zum angekündigten Nas-Beitrag. Das ist die neue LP von Nas, die Nas, jetzt nur noch Nas. Der heißt Illmatic. Die Nas Posse und um, DJ Premier hat ein paar Lieder produziert, um, genau. Pete Rock und CS Smooth haben ein paar Lieder produziert, oh, oh. The Large Professor hat ein paar Lieder produziert und auf der alten Main Source LP, die es jetzt wieder als Bootleg geben soll, um, hatte Nas die Nas früher so eine Gastrap 
ähm, fett geflattert, daher kenne ich ihn. Genau, wir haben Nastinas in Hamburg getroffen und das gucken wir uns jetzt an. Experience hip hop from the most original form from day one as far back I can remember all I remember is the music that's been my inspiration It ain't hard to tell I excel then prevail the mic is contacted I attract clientele my mic check is life or death breathing a sniper's breath I exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous steps deep like the shining sparkle like a diamond sneaker Uzi on the island and my army jacket lining hit the earth like a comet invasion Nazis like the Afro-Sigiation half man half amazing cause in my physical I can't express through song delete stress like more trend and extend strong I drink my wet with Medusa give a shotguns in hell from the split that I lived in in hell it ain't hard to tell I was rhyming for a lean amount of time you know what I mean I just been rhyming in it since around nine years old going to the park jams Anybody could tell you that's where it started out, in the jams. When the MC was there, wasn't no money involved, wasn't no lights and cameras, just a bunch of females, a bunch of fellas, beers, music, fun. Until something got set off and shots got let out. You know what I'm saying? That was a long time ago. A long time ago, I used to write graffiti, all that type of stuff. You know, break dance when I was a little kid. But that stuff got played out, you know what I mean? Now it's just a mic thing. That's the thing that's been standing the strongest and the longest. Rhyme is food for the mind. Yeah, I'm always writing it down first because I like to put time into my work and make sure it's all precise. You know, it's easy to freestyle. Freestyle is a hip-hop thing, but I definitely like to give credit to brothers who sit down and write the lyrics and make it more poetry, you know what I mean? When I'm in a New York state of mind, state of mind, everybody make money out here. Try to get some money, everybody get arrested, shot at, beat up. I dedicate Illmatic to my man Illmatic Ice doing time for murder right now because he's a strong man and he made his own rules for the game and he didn't take nothing from nobody and he was kind of like a strong path to follow and look at even though he got caught up and misled into the wrong situation and now he's caught in the system right now I still dedicated the album to him it was righteous because those are producers that I felt were geniuses and I always loved their work because they represented the strong rap material keep it on and on and on and on and you know what I'm saying big Nas Grand Wizard Nas, it's like I said, he's our, he's our, one of our saviors now. He's he's gonna blow a lot of people's mind when that album drops. It's just his lyrics are just 
I, I can't even explain. It's just dope. The way he comes with his ideas <clears throat> and the way he hits it, you know what I'm saying, is clearly poetry. I mean, with all the producers that we have on the album, you know, Nas himself, you know, that's hip-hop. This rhythmatic explosion is what your frame of mind is chosen. I leave your brain stimulated. Niggas is frozen. Speak with criminal slang. Begin like a violin. End like Neviathan is deep. Well, let me try again. Wisdom be leaking out my grateful truth. I dominate break loops. Giving Mike's ministry cycles. Streets disciple. I rock beats that's mega trifle. And groove even smoother than moves by Villanova. It's still a soldier. I'm like Sly Stone and Cobra. Packing like a roster in the weed spot. Vocals are squeezed. Glocks and CZs drop. Though they need not to sneak. My poetry's deep. I never fell. Now this rap should be locked in a cell. It ain't hard to tell. Yo, ain't no gimmicks involved. Ain't none of that. Straight up real material. This is the music of life. And I die for this. So to everybody out there that listen to rap, keep it up. Stay strong. Don't let nobody misguide you. One love. was planning a visit to his old neighborhood recently, so we asked if we could tag along. And here's what we saw. These buildings was my world at one point, and it was, it's, it's, it's embedded in my heart. You know what I mean? This is all we know. This is our world. 22-year-old rapper Nas was born and raised in the Queensbridge houses just over the East River from Manhattan. With almost 7,000 residents, Queensbridge is New York City's largest housing project. And while it may look nice enough, its history of violent crime makes it anything but an easy place to grow up. A lot of things go down like incarceration, you know, crime, drugs, violence. Out of all of this, you got to look for the positive, you know what I mean? You got to say, yo, besides all of this, you could be somebody. Nas is just the latest somebody to transform the negatives of the Queensbridge houses into hip-hop success. If hip-hop is Africa, Queensbridge is Egypt. The guards of hip-hop came to a head. Marley Maul, Eric B and Rakim, MC Shan, Craig G, Mob D. Anytime you got people coming from these neighborhoods, you have no, it has no choice but to produce a product like that. Yo, it's like Manhattan is right here, over the bridge, you know what I mean? We're right here, we in the world by ourselves. We right here alone. That alienation, as well as a sprinkling of old school nostalgia, are major themes of Nas's second album, It Was Written. I grew up on old school, you know what I mean? I was in the movie theaters in Crush School watching Curtis Blow singing If I Rule the World. area right here and if I rule the world you know what I'm saying it says unity is what we need that was painted right there after a friend of mine named Bing was shot and killed in the store right over here while Nas can't control the tragic realities of his old neighborhood he's gotten everything he dreamed of for it was written including a cameo by Lauren Hill of the Fugees I wanted a hip-hop artist you know what I mean and somebody like Lauren that could just make it up just bless it there's also a track produced by one of his rap idols, Dr. Dre. He wanted to do something. He wanted to make music, you know what I mean? 
it's like, yo, I'm with that, yo, because I know a lot of rappers that want to work with Dre, everybody I know. Apart from Dre's work on the Nas album, Nas, who currently lives in Glen Cove, Long Island, has recorded a track for Dre's next album called East Coast Killa, West Coast Killa. Nas will also be turning up at some dates on the Fuji Smoke and Grooves tour, which gets underway in Sacramento, California. Right here, check it out right now. We're about to hit you off with my latest Street Dreams, directed by my man Hype Williams. The whole concept about this was the movie Casino, directed by Martin Scorsese with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and those guys like that. So what we did was incorporated that into the music thing, because, you know, you know what I'm saying, they inspire us in some ways, and just like we inspire their kids and stuff with our music. So that's what Street Dreams are all about check it out on yo what's up this is Nas live on yo and it's time to answer another question for all the inquisitive minds out there check it out does Nas still live in Queensbridge if not is he still down with his peeps out there word up no Queensbridge for Nas right now but uh, the peeps is outside like 50 deep, you know what I'm saying? The peeps is right here, and it's a whole New York thing. We took it to another level, and Queensbridge is everywhere now, you know what I mean? So you can't escape Queensbridge. This is our era right now. Yo, if you want your questions answered... In late 1998, Nas began working on a double album to be entitled I Am, The Autobiography. He intended it as the middle ground between Illmatic and It Was Written, with each track detailing a part of his life. In 1998, Nas co-wrote and starred in Hype Williams' feature film, Belly. I Am, The Autobiography was completed in early 1999, and a music video was shot for its lead single, Nas Is Like. It was produced by DJ Premier and contained vocal samples from It Ain't Hard To Tell. Music critic MF Dybala noticed that Nas also covered politics, the state of hip-hop, Y2K, race and religion with his own unique perspective. In the album, besides audio by autobiography, in the album, besides autobiographical lyrics, much of the LP was leaked into MP3 format onto the internet, and Nas and Stout quickly recorded enough substitute material to constitute a single disc release. The second single on I Am was Hate Me Now, featuring Sean Puffy Combs, which was used as an example by Nas's critics accusing him of moving towards more commercial themes. The video featured Nas and Combs being crucified in a manner similar to Jesus Christ. Oh shit. Mm. I think I might have spoke with this about I Am a little bit. After the video was completed, Combs requested his crucifixion, his crucifixion scene be edited out of the video. However, the unedited copy of the Hate Me Now video made its way to MTV. Within minutes of the broadcast, Combs and his bodyguards allegedly made their way into Steve Stout's office and assaulted him. At one point, apparently hitting Stout over the head with a champagne bottle. Stout pressed charges, but he and Combs settled out of court that June. Columbia had scheduled... The, to release the infringed material from I Am under the title Nostradamus during the later half of 1999. 
But the last minute, Nas decided to record an entire new album for the 1999 release of Nostradamus. Nostradamus was therefore rushed to meet a November release date. Though critical reviews were unfavorable, it did release a, it did result in a minor, minor hit, You Owe Me. Fans and critics feared that Nas's career was declining artistically and commercially as both I Am and Nostradamus were criticized as inconsistent and overtly commercialized. In 2000, Nas and Ill Will Records presents QB's Finest, which is popularly known as, popularly known as Q, QB's Finest, was released on Nas's Ill Will Records. QB's Finest is a compilation album that featured Nas and a number of other rappers from Queensbridge projects, including Mob Deep, Nature, Capone, The Bravehearts, Tragedy Gaddafi, Millennium Thug, and Cormega, who had briefly reconciled with Nas. The album also featured guest appearances from Queensbridge hip-hop legends Roxanne Shantae, MC Shan, and Marley Maul. Shan and Molly Maul both appeared on the lead single The Bridge in 2001, which based which was based on Shan and Maul's 1986 recording The Bridge. 2001 to 2006, Feud with Jay-Z, Stillmatic, Godson, and Double Album. So we're about to get into the real nitty-gritty of this. After trading veiled criticisms on various songs, freestyles, and mixtape appearances, the highly publicized dispute between Nas and Jay-Z became widely known to the public in 2001. Jay-Z and his song Takeover criticized Nas by calling him fake and his career lame. Nas responded with Ether in which he compared Jay-Z to such characters as J.J. Evans from the sitcom Good Times and the cigarette company mascot Joe Camel. The song was included on Nas's fifth studio album, Stillmatic, released in December 01. His daughter, Destiny, is listed as an executive producer on Stillmatic so she could receive royalty checks from the album. Mm. Stillmatic peaked at number five on the U.S. Billboard 200 charts and featured the singles Got Yourself a Gun and One Mic. In response to Ether, Jay-Z released the song Super Ugly, which Hot 97 radio host Angela Martinez premiered on December 11, 2001. In the song, Jay-Z explicitly boasts about having an affair with Nas's girlfriend, Carmen Bryan. New York City hip-hop radio station Hot 97 issued a poll asking listeners which rapper made the better diss song. Nas won with 58%, while Jay-Z got 42% of the votes. In 2002, in the midst of the dispute between the two New York rappers, Eminem cited both Nas and Jay-Z as being two of the best MCs in the industry in his song, Till I Collapse. Both the dispute and Stillmatic signaled an artistic comeback for Nas after a string of inconsistent albums. The Lost Tapes, a compilation of previously unreleased or bootleg songs from 98 to 01, was released by Columbia in September 2002. The collection attained respectable sales and received rave reviews from critics. In December 2002, Nas released the Godson album, including its lead single, Made You Look, which used a pitched-down sample of the incredible bongo band's Apache. Apache. The album peaked at number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 1 on the top R&B hip-hop charts, despite widespread internet bootlegging. Time Magazine named this the best hip-hop album of the year. Vibe gave it 4 stars and The Source gave it 4 mics. The second single, I Can, which reworked elements of Beethoven's Fior Alice, became Nas's biggest hit 
in today in 03, garnering substantial radio play on urban, rhythmic, and top 40 radio stations, as well as on the MTV and VH1 music video networks. Godson also includes several songs dedicated to Nas's mother, who died of cancer in April 2002, including Dance. In 2003, Nas was featured on the Korn song Play Me from Korn's Take a Look in the Mirror LP. Also in 03, a live performance in New York featuring Ludacris, Jadakiss, and Run and DMC. Uh, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC was released on DVD as Made You Look, Godson Live. Godson was critical in the power struggle between Nas and Jay-Z in the hip-hop industry at the time. In the article at the time, Joseph Jones of Pop Matters stated, whether you like it or not, Ether did it, did this. With God's son, Nas has the opportunity to submit his status as the king of New York, at least for another three to four year term. He could prove that he is not the savior that hip hop fans should be pining their hopes on. But he, or he could prove that he is not the savior that hip hop fans should be pinning their hopes on. After the album's release, he began to help. He began helping the Bravehearts, an act including his younger brother Jungle and friend Wiz, put together the debut album Bravehearted. The album featured guest appearances from Nas, Nishan, Little John, and Jolie ba- and Jolie Black. Nas released his seventh album, Streets Disciple, a sprawling double album on November 30th, 04. It addressed subject matter both political and personal, including his impending marriage to recording artist Khalees. The, the double-sided single, Thief's Theme and You Know My Style, was released months before the album's release, followed by the single Bridging the Gap upon the album's release. Although Streets Disciple went platinum, it served as a drop-off from Nas's previous commercial successes. In 05, Nas, New York-based rapper 50 Cent dissed Nas on his song Piggy Bank, which brought his reputation into question in hip-hop circles. In October, Nas made a surprise appearance at Jay-Z's I Declare War concert, where they reconciled their beef. At the show, Jay-Z announced to the crowd, it's bigger than I Declare War. Let's go, let's go. And Nas then joined him on stage, and the two performed Jay-Z's Dead Presidents, together a song that featured a prominent sample of Nas's 1994 track, The World Is Yours. It's interesting that you say that 50 you're happy he went platinum, and yet, to some kids out there, he dished you on his album. This guy's young, he's vigorous, he's full of, you know, energy, and, you know. He's throwing it out there again. Come on, guys, come on, take a shot. I'm working on my new stuff, and there's a possibility, you know, I'm gonna say something. <laughs> but, I'm, honestly, he, he's not ready to get in the ring with, yet. He needs six, seven more albums. Nazir Jones exploded onto the hip-hop scene in 94 with his classic debut, Illmatic, earning him instant respect amongst the hip-hop community. The follow-up album spawned numerous crossover hits, establishing him as a true superstar, but leaving many hardcore fans fuming. After a period of relative quiet, a turning point came in 2001, when Jay-Z openly dissed Nas in an attempt to hijack the ultimate title of the King of New York. Nas responded with a stinging comeback track, Ether, and followed with the album Stillmatic and Godson, which were held as his finest work since his debut. Now with the release of his new double album, Streets Disciple, Nas has reclaimed the streets and taken his rightful place in the Hip Hop Hall of Fame. What shall I call him? Nas Escobar, Nasty Nas, or NAS Nas, or Mr. Jones even. Welcome to MTV. TV Base, nice to have you. Thanks. Cool, man. I want to talk about your whole history from day one up, because I read in your biography that you left school kind of young, you quit school kind of young, and for someone who's such a lyricist as yourself, that surprised me. Why did you quit school? School quit me 
you know, they um, chased out tons of kids like me, uh, those schools. And um, what, what was good for me was I did want to learn, so I continued to learn. I, could, I had parents who, who would teach me and, you know, just tell me things and, you know, guide me in the right way. So I kept learning. Around you know. that time in New York, there was a whole movement, like Knowledge Yourself, and there was a black awareness movement going on. Were yeah. you wrapped up in that at all? Yeah, I did get caught up in that, and uh, part of the reason why is because, you know, listening to music, rap music, and groups like Tribe Called Quest. At what point in your life did you realize hip-hop was your future? And it was a viable future, not just like, you know, you see, you go to New York today, there's every kid on the streets an MC, I want to be a star. Yeah. What point did you really think it was going to happen for you? The, the first time I really thought that I wanted it to happen for me was when I saw Run DMC, when I saw them, I knew that this was real. You know, I saw already, I heard so many different kinds of rap records and I knew it was the new thing. I knew it was something great, but when I saw Run DMC do it, it, it just changed my life. And then since then, there's been different times and places, time, even up to this day, I still say, you know, wow, this is really happening. Mm, so the first time I, I was made aware of you was on the album Live at the Barbecue, Main Sources album. How did that come about? I met um, the, the lead guy in the group Main Source, and they were working on their first album. And at the time, he was about 16 years old, producing for a lot of big rap stars. Producing at 16? Yeah. Yeah, man. He, it was, he was ahead of his time. Mm. He gave me the opportunity to be on his album, and um, which was the song Live at the Barbecue. Where they came and went, that was a launch pad for your career. Yeah. You then got picked up by Sony at the time. Yeah. Then came in everybody's book, whether they love you or hate you or, or whatever, they say you dropped one of the classic hip hop albums of all time, Illmatic. Did you realize you were making a classic album at the time? I wanted to make an album that would be respected, respected by everyone forever, as far as a rap album. I did want to make that kind of album. But when I, I started it, classic, was something that I wanted to feel at the end of the recording process. I never knew so many people would um, call it a classic. But for that album, you had some of the chief protagonists in hip hop. You had Primo, who I think you worked really well with. Pete Rock is another producer, large professor, as we said. And hip hop in 94, when that album dropped, was just for me, the edge of still pure. What I mean by that is we had Rakim before you, we had Chuck D, we had Run DMC LL, and it was still had a really warm, natural sound. No hype. There was none of this pre-hype stuff you get today. Within two years of you making your follow-up, Bad Boy came along. We we're talking Bling, Ghetto Fabulous. So the pressure was more than just following up your first album, wasn't it? Absolutely. You know, it was, um, the rap, rap music became the billion-dollar business. As you have more competition, you have um, a huger audience than, than I did with my first record. You know, navigate through all of that and, and, and keep my position was uh, important to me. You know, it was like either you go all the way now or you're done because you got, you know, Tupac on the top of the charts with real records, Dear Mama. You know, you had Biggie, you know, killing it. Uh, Snoop and Dre. It was like, wow, this is now, it's on. That so was, what did you do? 
<laughs> How did you, you know, I, what was your approach? I, I mean, I just took, I said, okay, you know, I know I could do this. I, I could handle this. And um, got in there and, and um, you know, just start cranking out records. They were quite commercial compared to the first album. Yeah, it was way more commercially accepted. It was my way of shaking off so many people at the time that were coming out with either my voice on the hooks or rhyming with my voice. And I felt so untalented when I turned on the radio and heard other people doing what I do well. I didn't feel like there was a need for me to be around. I felt like I had to kind of like go over that, go over that. It's bizarre hearing that from you, man, because to say you felt untalented after the first album and just because people, but people were biting your style and you thought they were doing it better than you? Well, the thing is, anything that's new and that's good out there, people imitate it. Like, um, people were sounding like Biggie. So many kids in New York or all across the world sound like Jay. And after a while, that has to get frustrating for him even today. And at that time, they, was, they were coming out sounding like Elmatic. And it makes you a little bit worried because if you can get this sound somewhere else, what do you need me for? And you kind of question yourself, you know. So my thing was, you know, I want to talk to the world. On my first record that they're trying to copy, I said the world is yours and things like that. So on the next album, it was about making that come, making that become life if I rule the world. The Fuji's were like 20 million records. So yeah. to have Lauryn Hill on my record, a who, blessing. who is not commercial, mm. she's a pure artist, I thought was, um, was was great. You had people wanting to battle you. You had people wanting to to dethrone you if if you had the crown. You know this whole crown king of New York kind of thing happened after Big passed. And then you had a time when people were saying, "Is he ever going to approach the class of Illmatic again?" And the question kept coming up every time your name was mentioned. But you didn't. Instead of jumping out into the spotlight. I couldn't find you. What was what was going on? I've never been the type that's really, really tries to sell himself. Mm. There are times, you know, you work, you go, you tour, you do promo, and you want the world to hear it. And if the world hears it and the world loves it, that means you sell 70 million albums, like thrilling and great. <laughs> I never wanted to wake up every day to figure out numbers and business and you know, marketing plans that were took days and weeks to racking your brain up. I just wanted to make music. This is how the hip-hop game has really changed. Same talking about numbers and the business side of the music business. Like, so many rappers today make it very obvious they're very aware of the business. Not so much the music, the business. You, you became, in a sense, out of step with those guys, because those guys are all about becoming moguls. P. Diddy is a typical example. His contribution to the game was pretty vast when you look back now. You know, he made his moves and at the time people were criticising him heavily and the same people criticise him are wearing his clothes today. What do you think of that? You know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's never enough. If it would ever, you, you will run yourself thin. Spread yourself thin trying to please everybody. Mm. So the focus is when people start talking about you and, you know, don't don't fall into it. Don't believe it. You you really it doesn't help you either way, whether someone's talking about you, and when they stop talking about you is the problem, you know. So continue on with what you're doing because eventually, like, 
you know, people are going to come around. They want to see if you're going to break. People want to, you know, throw darts at you to see if you break, see if you are really the guy that you say you are. And you just have to, it's a price of fame. You're the perfect person to talk to about the game then and the game now and how you see yourself. Um, after the first three albums, did you feel the need to make a statement and recapture some of hip-hop's past? Because there seemed to be a feeling that, okay, people went for the crossover and that's as far as a compromise you were going to make was, I'm going to make a couple of tunes. If I rule the world or, or, you know, some catchy tunes or whatever, street dreams. Or just, you know, there's a message in there, but oh, musically, I want to cross over a bit more. And then you seem to come back, you know, Godson, you know, Stillmatic. As if you had a real point to prove that maybe the game had lost its way. Absolutely. Um, I had to remind a lot of people because a lot of the artists were starting to fall into a lot of making a lot of R&B records, uh, R&B sounding records to cross over and it's even still today this day like a, take for instance a 50s album you know who who is a good artist and his record The Candy Shop is more appealing to the females and more and you're supposed to do that that's strategic to do your your records that you know the people are going to dance to and stuff like that but I think too many artists we're getting caught up with making those records on all of the albums and all of their singles, and that's what was ruining our music. So, you know, I think people forgot like how I came into rap music, what I re represent and what I stand for, because I make a record that's more club friendly or more for the ch for girls. Doesn't mean that. You know, I wasn't inspired by Rock Kim and Public Enemy, that I wasn't out in the parks in Queensbridge with the jams outside live with the, you know, in the street park parties and stuff where I was watching all these things happen, all these things that were the ingredients for my music, for me, for, for, for the type of music I wanted to make, I learned out there in the streets. So this, I have to remind people of who I am. And at the same time, you know, give music back to hip hop that, is hip-hop. When you came out, R&B was dominant in terms of the biggest artists were singing R&B style records and rappers were guesting on their tracks occasionally. You know, right. you, get, you get to guest right. on one of these multi-platinum singers' tracks, you're going to get a whole new level of exposure. Now, it's completely flipped. Right. You know, you've got Mary guesting on it. Well, Mary always was, right. in fairness to Mary, but you've got some big artists who no longer sell in the units. They used to queuing up to guess with a rapper. That's right. And you got rappers singing. Right. Now, when I did he sing the first time, I laughed out of Dodge. I was crying. I was saying, yeah. what are you singing for? You're a rapper. Uh -huh. And now everybody does it. Right. To get radio playing, to get the girls and the fan base. Mm -hmm. Is that where hip-hop started losing its way? Absolutely. It does start losing its way that way because young kids are watching hip-hop for the first time, and this is their first impression. This is their first piece of hip-hop, and the first way they're hearing it is like that then you know the future is we're finished what is what is your definition of a pretty pure hip-hop record like you did get down uh, which is using the old james brown break yeah which is how i used to hear a lot of hip-hop was based on breaks like old funk breaks as i watched the video i just got drawn back into the first hip-hop jams i went to as an mc on stage with just a mic and a tight crowd right. you know in into it and, I, and, and compared to videos that came on afterwards, 
you know, girls everywhere and Bentleys and what have you. I thought that's where, that's the difference. Well, the advantage that I do have is my seniority as a rapper, MC. So I think I've done so much that now I can make a song where um, it just feels like the, the way it used to be. Whereas the guys today haven't done enough to do that yet, maybe. And, you know, the American dream is girls, cars, and money. So, you know, kids want to see that. They don't want to hear an elder talking to them about life too much. They respect elders who still have money, you know, more than anything, you know. So they respect money. The kids today want to fantasize. So when they see these videos and see you living that life, you are living the fantasy. You are the star. And um, the MC is lacking. Um, is he dying? No, the MC's not dying. There's, there's tons of great MCs, and there are tons of great students. I was a great student. I still am. There's, t there's tons of great students that are out there just waiting for the right time, I think. And you did I Can. That was a huge statement record. For many reasons in my mind, because it was so aimed at such a young audience, included young people, message was strong, it was stripped, you know, you know what I mean? But it still, I thought, well, is that a risk for Nas to do a record like that? So when you recorded I Can and decided that's a single, were you being a preacher? I thought I had to be, I didn't want to be a preacher, but I thought at that point in time, I thought it was good to be a preacher. It was about taking a risk, but it was more than a risk. I didn't care about the risk, because if women are listening and I make songs for women, if thugs are listening, I make songs for thugs. If college guys are listening, I make songs for them, and kids are listening. You've done your job. That's what you aimed at. I can't. I don't mm. really necessarily want the kids to hear all the other stuff I'm talking about. So, but they are listening. I can't stop them. It's really that stuff like that Slick Rick used to do with Hey Young World, The mm. World Is Yours. That, to, that meant a lot to me. Uh, but you know, it was funny when I started to, I hear people putting their raps, Nas, Nas loved the kids. I love the guns or whatever. I was like, yeah, I love the kids, you know. But it was funny how so many people want to criticize you for helping the kids, but if I make records about killing all day, that's fine. Don't ever say anything good. I've got to hit you on the beef situation, because when you started out in the game, battling MCs was part of hip-hop. It was just part of it. Beef changed completely with the East Coast, West Coast thing. We know this. Yeah. A lot of people watching this show are going to... The first example of beef for them in their, in their time is you and Jay-Z. What they got was two rappers at the top of their game giving, shooting their best shots basically on, 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 on the mic. How did you come out of that? Did you think it was a healthy situation or, or, or you wish you never got embroiled in it in the first place? I think it was a, a healthy situation. You know, it was, um, there was a lot of, of subliminal beefs between a few rappers, but I've never really heard it go that far and the only time it went that far was Pac and Biggie mm. and it was really more Tupac because Big didn't really respond to Tupac lyrically like attacking him us Tupac alone was so was so effective and powerful this created these beasts and and people died so since then of course you know nobody in, in hip-hop was 
even trying to go that way because, you know, we, we got out of the streets. We do this music to help us get our families out of the streets. So why we want to get go back to the streets once we get out? So everyone's kind of in chill. But inevitably, there are battles. And because there's a lot of we, we from the streets, you know, yo, I ain't going to let him talk about me like that. I ain't going to let him talk about me like that. And, you know, but so when this thing happened with me and him, you know, it was like it was a it was an MC battle, you know. So it didn't have nothing to do with, you know, I'm gonna whack him out. He's yeah. gonna try to whack me out because we men. I think people got that straight away. Yeah. I don't think anybody at any point thought this was gonna escalate beyond what it was. So, so and with, by saying that, it was healthy, mm. and um, it was great. It was great for me because. It's one thing being a rapper who can sell records or who can, you know, but to, to go down in history as someone who's also battled is even is even hotter. Did you, you know? Win? I think I did. I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> so just to get back to Stillmatic now, Stillmatic and Godson. I don't really think people understand how this works um, and how it worked in the day. You mentioned at the start of this interview, Tribe Called Quest, groups like De La Soul. There were other groups like the Jungle Brothers' first album, it was Black yeah. Sheep. There were a lot of groups yeah. that over here in London we were jumping up and down about. We were buying, you know, you know, we were buying them and thinking these guys are selling five million records. Right. And then as I got older and I looked back at Soundscan or whatever I was looking at, I'm like, you mean they haven't sold a platinum album yet in their career? Crazy. And the real heads weren't selling records. So for you to go from Nostradamus to Godson and Stillmatic, were you risking selling less or or selling more? My last works were, you know, if you come from a business point of view, they were big risks. Uh, because you got to think, I came into the business around that time mm. when groups like Brand Nubian, who I would know was platinum, wasn't. At that time, the, the only platinum rap groups were Run DMC, LL Cool J, Legends. So I... Of course, I didn't expect that to be to go platinum, and it took a long time for my first album to go platinum. It took years. Yeah, I know. That's another thing. I was <laughs> shocked. Years. I thought Illmatic must have done five million. No, it took it took years. And now, how do you feel about a guy going platinum, like Fifty Cent in a week, selling what it took Illmatic years to do, he does in a week? I'm proud of Illmatic and how it sold that way, um, and I'm also proud of how Fifty's record sold because. Hip-hop, no matter who's doing it, hip-hop to me has to stay number one. I don't, it doesn't have to be Nas number one. You know, it doesn't have to be 50, it doesn't have to be one guy all the time, but somebody in hip-hop has to keep it going. It's interesting that you say that 50, you're happy he went platinum, and yet, to some kids out there, he dished you on his album. Yeah, but, you know, this guy's young, he's vigorous, he's full of you know, energy and, you know. He's throwing it out there again. Come on, guys, come on, take a shot. He's yeah. like, he, he wants everyone to put his name in their records. Yeah, I mean, 50, he's an artist who's um, really basically, he came in the game like that. He came in the game, calling out a lot of people, and his, his career is basically about publicity. But you can't really knock it. You gotta just say, hey, he finds a way to eat his way, and other people find a way. Back in the day, guys would be like, I'm gonna get him. Don't mention my name on your track unless it's positive. If you're mentioning my name, I'm going to have to write something about you. Are you, are you over that because you took jail? Um, nah, anybody could get it. Mm. You know, anybody could get it. So there is, there's some, I'm working on my new stuff. 
and there's a possibility, that, you know, I'm going to say something. But I'm, honestly, he, he's not ready to get in the ring with, yet. He needs six, seven more albums. But, and, you know, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'll wait. The person I was really pleased you got with was, she's my favorite girl in this business. And that's your new wife. Yeah. Um, wonderful person. Um, couldn't stop talking about you before you got married. You're also obviously famously engaged yeah. to a guy who represents all of that yeah. and a lot more from Queensbridge. Definitely. How's that going? Is that cool? It's hard, man. Like, I'm not even going to lie and say that it's mm. a piece of cake because it's not. No relationship is. I'm it's not. Not You're touring, he's touring. It's hard. That's, not, that's I think, the hardest thing. The mobile phone bill must be up there. Absurd. Sick. Really bad. It's not often it's organically done like that. How's it all going, you and police? It's, it's good, man. You know, we just, we're friends. You know, when you're friends, it works, you know. It's, I'm not tripping off of the publicity and all of that because I could never put myself in a position to be with someone just to get take pictures. Mm. She just so happens to be a singer. And, you know, in life, I like to get everything I wanted. You know, if I say I like that car, I mm. want it. And I usually get it. I usually get everything I want. I saw her, I said I want it. And I say, I want to keep it. <laughs> and I usually, I usually get everything I, I want. Honest, that is one woman. But if she didn't want you, I don't think you would have got her. <laughs> You're right about that. You know, you know, you know. I should have done it a long time ago. You know, we always worry about things. We're always scared and worried about Mr. Wright, Mrs. 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 Wright. You know, but it's all good if you're feeling it. Mm. Go for it. And she makes that easy. She's, you know someone to talk to about anything. So the new album's a double. I thought it was going to be a treble. It, seemed, it was in a big case like this. Right? <laughs> Street's Disciple, man. Um, this one really, one of my favorite rap albums is um, the Wu-Tang double album. Um, Tupac's and B.I.G.'s Life After Death. Mm. Scarface's My Homie's double album. It's just a big statement. Um, I, I should have done it years ago definitely and <laughs> you know it's it's just the, the only mm. the only issue with it is that it came late it came late and but still i, I knew it was coming late but I, I still wanted to put it out i didn't want to just keep recording and eventually just say you know all right i've had enough of this and never had put out a double record the bridge and the gap record was again you know you did i can yeah risky record and then you put your pops in a record yeah I can't, you know, if I had to do it over, all of this over again, I wouldn't do it different, you know. On, on, on Street Disciples, you've got a track called I certainly do. You are shouting out people like Tiger Woods, and you're being quite controversial on that record. You know what's funny, Trevor? They, they, a lot of people, they say that's controversial because of the way that we talk about the destruction of hip hop, what's happening and how it's turning to something else. But when I used to listen to Ice Cube and listen to uh, Public Enemy and NWA and, and, and even Slick Rick, early Slick Rick, the stuff that never got released where he mentioned people's names and stuff, that's just hip hop. That's just hip hop. Even B.I.G. with dreams of an yeah, R&B yeah. chick and he names girls that he really want to do. And, that's street corner conversation. Also, you have dark and you have light. You have no one with Maxwell. Right. Which is Maxwell singing like Marvin Gaye. 
Is that a record company thing or is that a you thing? That was me. I'm a big fan of Maxwell. Saw him live. Um, asked him to do it. I didn't think he would because he he's never recorded with anyone, any That's rapper right. before. Yeah. So to get him on the record was amazing. He came to the studio all the time. He was really, really gung-ho about it. Got in there, had a lot of ideas. And, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a great experience. You want to introduce the guy who's, who's guessing on that track as well because he signed to your label? Yeah, yeah, Don Fuquan. I don't work with a lot of artists. Artists tend to be crazy, you know, and, and, and finicky and, 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 and just crazy. You're not talking you know? about AZ, are you? <laughs> <laughs> because AZ, I used to work at the record label that AZ was, a, was an artist for. We, can we find that guy? Excuse me. I'm going to New York and I'm like, where's AZ? I don't know. Let's ask Nas. <laughs> we got, anyway. So you know, you know yeah, exactly I know, I know, what man. it's about. You, you, know what, man, you know how it is. I have potential. And I've had artists get down with me, not easy, but yeah. I've had other artists get down and then later on go off and, you know, mad because they don't, you know, understand why it's not taking off. But, you know, someone like Quan was just real. I know when you're going to put the mic down, but we hope it ain't going to be soon. Not soon, no time soon. No, it's been a pleasure, bro. Thank you, bro. Hip-Hop is Dead, Untitled Album, and Politicized Efforts, 06 to 08. The reconciliation between Nas and Jay-Z created the opportunity for Nas to sign a deal with Def Jam Recordings, of which Jay-Z was president at the time. Jay-Z signed Nas on January 23rd, 06. The signing included an agreement that Nas was to be paid about $3 million, including a recording budget for each of his first two albums with Def Jam. Wow, that's kind of like a... We really want to look at it in, in terms of chess moves. That's a genius chess move by Jay-Z because he literally signed a dude he was beefing with and, yeah, that's some wild shit. If you really look at that, that's a hell of a power move. And that's how he was probably able to know when his shit was dropping and then drop his stuff. Smart, smart competitive move, ho. Tentatively called Hip Hop Is Dead, the end. Hip Hop Is Dead was a commentary on the state of hip hop and featured Black Republican, a hyped collaboration with Jay-Z. The album debuted on Def Jam and Nas's new imprint at the label, The Jones Experience, at number one on the Billboard 200 charts, selling 355,000 copies. Nas's third number album, third number one album, along with It Was Written and I Am. It also inspired reactions about the state of hip hop, particularly controversy with Southern hip hop artists who felt the album's title was a criticism aimed at them. Nas's 04 song, Thieves Theme, was featured in the 06 film, The Departed. Nas's former label, Columbia Records, released the compilation Greatest Hits in November. In October 1207, Nas announced his next album would be called The N-Word. Both progressive commentators such as Jackson, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and the conservative-aligned news channel Fox News were outraged. 
Jackson called on entertainers to stop using the the epithet after comedian Michael Richards used it on stage in late 06. Controversy escalated as the album's impending release date drew nearer, going as far as to spark rumors that Def Jam was planning to drop Nas unless he changed the title. Additionally, Fort Greene, Brooklyn Assemblyman Hakeem Jeffries requested New York's comptroller Thomas D. Napoli to withdraw $84 million from the state pension fund that has been invested into Universal and its bank in its parent company, Vivendi, if the album's title was not changed. On the other side of the spectrum, many of the most famous names in the entertainment industry expressed a sense of trust in Nas for using the racial epithet as a title for his full-length LP. Nas's management worried that the album would not be sold by chain stores such as Walmart, thus limiting its distribution. On May 19th, Nas decided to forego an album title, responded to Jesse Jackson's remarks and use of the N-word. Nas called him the biggest player hater, stating, His time is up. All you old people's time is up. We heard your voice. We saw your marching. We heard your sermons. We don't want to hear that shit no more. It's a new day. It's a new voice. I'm here now. We don't need Jesse. I'm here. I got this. We're the voice now. I'm no more Jesse. It's no more Jesse. Sorry, goodbye. It went helping nobody in the hood, and that's the bottom line. He also said of the album's title, It's important to me that this album gets to the fans. It's been a long time coming. I want my fans to know that creatively and lyrically, they can expect the same content and the same messages. The people will always know what the real title of this album album is and what to call it. The album was ultimately released on July 15, 2008, and it featured production from Polo to Dawn, Stickman of Dead Prez, Sons of Light, and Jay Myers. And there's an interesting rumor circulating that Stickman could have written on this album. Uh, same thing with Jay Electronica. And to be honest, it's something that I, I could see happening because some of the bars on it, like I'm over their head like a bulimic on a seesaw. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. Nas speculated that he might release two albums, one produced by Premier and one produced by Dre, simultaneously the same day. Nas worked on Dre, Dr. Dre's studio album, Detox. Nas was also awarded MC of the Year in the Hip Hop DX 08 Awards for his latest solo effort and quality of his appearance on other albums. Dun, dun, dun. 2009 to 2012, Distant Relatives and Life is Good. At the 2009 Grammy Awards, Nas confirmed that he was collaborating on an album with reggae singer Damian Marley, which was expected to be released in late 2009. Nas said of the collaboration in an interview, I was a big fan of his father and of course all the children, all the offspring, and Damian. I kind of looked at Damian as a rap guy. His stuff is not really singing, or if he does, it comes off more hard, like on some street shit. I always liked how reggae and hip-hop have always been intertwined and always kind of pushed each other. I always liked the connection. I'd worked with people before from the reggae world, but when I worked with Damien, the whole workout was perfect. A portion of the profit was planned to go towards building a school in Africa. He went went on to say that it was too early to tell the title or anything like that. The Los Angeles Times reported that the album would be titled Distant Relatives. Nas also revealed that he would begin working on his 10th studio album following the release of Distant Relatives. During late 09, Nas used his live band Bellato with music director Dustin Moore for concerts in Europe and Australia. After announcing a possible release in 2010, follow-up compilation of Life Tapes, uh, Life Tapes, Lost Tapes, Lost Tapes uh, was delayed was delayed indefinitely due to issues between him and Def Jam. His 11th studio album, Life is Good, 
was produced pri primarily by Salam Remy and No ID and was released July 13, 2012. And Nas called the album a magic moment in his rap career. And to be frank, I really fuck with Life is Good because it kind of came out around my time when I was a freshman in high school. So I definitely remember attaching myself to that project. In 2011, Nas announced that he would release co collaboration albums with Mob Deep, Common, and a third with DJ Premier. Common said of the project in a 2011 interview, at some point, we will do that. We talked about it, and we had a good idea to call it Nas.com. That was actually going to be a mixtape at one point, but we decided that we should make it an album. Life is good. Ah, man, I really would have wished that came to fruition. That sucks. 2013 to 2019. In January 2013, Nas announced he had begun working on his 12th studio album, which would be his final album for Def Jam. The album was supposed to be released during 2015. In October 2013, DJ Premier said that his collaboration album with Nas would be released following his 12th studio album. In October 2013, Nas confirmed that a rumored song, Sinatra in the Sands, featuring Jay-Z, Timberlake, and Timberland would be featured on the album. On April 16, 2014, the 20th century anniversary of Illmatic, the documentary Nas Times Illmatic was premiered, which recounted circumstances leading up to Nas's debut album. It was reported on September 10th that Nas had finished his last album with Def Jam. Nas had finished his last album with Def Jam. On October 30th, Nas released a song which might have been the first single on the new album titled The Season. Produced by Jay Dilla, Nas has also collaborated with the Australian hip-hop group Bliss and Esco. In 2014, they released the track I Am Somebody. In May 2014, Nas was featured on the song We Are from Justin Bieber's fourth studio album Purpose, released in 2015. Oh, I didn't know that. See, Nas was announced as one of the executive producers of the Netflix series The Get Down. Prior to its release in August 2016, he narrated the series and rapped about and rapped as adult Ezekiel of 1996. He also appeared on DJ Khaled's album Major Keys on a track simply titled Nas Album Done, suggesting an upcoming album was not only completed but also imminent. On October 16, 2016, he received the Jimmy Iovine Icon Award at the 2016 Music Conference for having a lasting impact and unique influence on music. Numerous years in the rap business, his partnership with Hennessy and the Mass Appeal, Mass Appeal imprint by Puff Daddy. In November 2016, Nas collaborated with Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda, Dave East, and Alo Black on a song called Wrote My Way Out that appears on the Hamilton tape. On April 12th, 2017, Nas released the song Angel Dust as a soundtrack for the TV series The Get Down. It contains a sample of Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson in the Brian Jackson song Angel Dust. In June 2017, Nas, uh, da -da -da, award winning. American da, 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 Hollywood. All right, so okay, that's not as interesting. In April 2018, Kanye announced on Twitter that that Nas's 12th album will be released on the 15th. All that stuff with Kanye, and then the album was announced the day before release, and it was titled Nasir. Following the release of Nasir, Nas confirmed he would be returned. Uh, to completing a previous album, including production from Swizz Beats and RZA. This project was released as The Lost Tapes 2, which included production from Kanye West, Pharrell Williams, Swizz Beats, The Alchemist, and The RZA. So hell of a lot of great production. This album was a sequel to the 2002 release, The Lost Tapes. Now we get down to what he's been doing with King's Disease and Magic. Um... Yeah, like, I think that really brings us up to date with everything that he did. But 
as far as like these these past three albums he's dropped, I think that this is some of his best work yet since um personally I think it's some of his best work since you could say maybe hip hop is dead or Streets Disciple Godson. I feel like he's back on a run. And that last album, Magic, um, if the, today if you're hearing this, I'm recording this probably on a Tuesday. If you're hearing this, it's Friday. So you can go and listen to my breakdown of the album Magic, and I don't do a lot of breakdowns and stuff. But um, it's kind of like Nas Appreciation Week, essentially. That's why I've been why I've been pushing through and everything. But you know, as far as everything goes, I really think that his career um, is insane. You you look at what he's done, his collaborative projects, the the producers he's worked with, the shit that he's written to, and the classics he's released. I mean, you kind of would have to be wild. Um, to not respect Nas and uh, I really wanted to do this podcast as a way to give flowers and uh, show some appreciation and throughout this this podcast you know I've been I've been putting in clips and stuff and interviews to to provide more context in between but I'm just still trying to find my way as far as all this stuff goes with the format but I love doing the legend segments because it gives me time to really open up and talk about some of my favorite artists. Nas fucking being a top five favorite rapper of mine. And the fluidity of his lyricism, his influence by Rakim, the great Big Daddy King, KRS-One, Cool G Rap. He is like the perfect amalgamation and embodiment of that. And um, I just want to give my praise to Nasir Jones. Thank you, sir, for your amazing body of work. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening. You're the fucking shit. Have an excellent day. And I'll be catching you on the flip side. I'll, I'll stay dropping. I'm going to stay dropping pretty consistently at least three long-form podcasts a week. Trying to keep up with the interviews, but I'm not perfect. And, um, yeah, just looking for more interesting artists to talk to to keep the show entertaining. If you know anybody, let me know. But once again, thank you guys for listening to me ramble. It means a whole lot. Thank you. So it's important that as I grow, the music reflects that. Great poetry always needs to be reread. You don't have to get it the first time around. And the way you rap, you know, one could never take it all in. Right. I wonder if we could look closely at some lines from It Ain't Hard to Tell. All right. Um, And I'm wondering if you would just read it for us. This rhythmatic explosion is what your frame of mind has chosen. Leave your brain stimulated, niggas is frozen. Speak with criminal slang, begin like a viathan. End like leviathan, it's deep, well let me try again. Wisdom be leaking out my grapefruit troop. Now let me explain that line. Please. Wisdom be leaking (laughs) out my grapefruit troop. So troop is just what you call each other, right? Troop, hey what's up troop? Yeah, my guys. Uh, grapefruit is this thing, your, your noodle, your, your <laughs> noggin, your whatever. So that's just another word. So wisdom is leaking out of it as I'm as I'm doing this word. You know, trying to I'm trying to sound cool. You know, and, and, and you know, with just other words for. My and grapefruit. that's one of the ways your pen is extreme. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to dominate break loops? That's that's the beat, that's right? The that's the beat. So explain that's that the beat. if you would. Well, break loops are when someone takes. Um, a piece of a record usually is the break, the breakdown part. It's a, it's a piece in every record where there's just drums. So they made records out of those things. They looped that part. Break loop is just another way of saying it because it's loop. You're looping right, one piece. It, so I dominate break loops. It occurs to me that to say you dominate break loops is also a way of saying there's this underlying 
formal given, right? There's the break loop, yeah. there's the thing somebody else made. And yeah. any poet, you know, all poets are inherit forms. Right. You know, they're given to them and they have to kind of learn to make them their own. The, mm -hmm. You know, English poets will use iambic pentameter or, you know, there's just forms we use throughout the centuries. And I hear you saying, give me this form and I will dominate it. Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. Given Mike's menstrual cycles, are those cycles in any way metaphorically related to the loops? Now it is. Now since it is. Since you said it. That's but, well. But I didn't think of that. Well, that's what poetry does, right? This is about things that, that go in cycles, mm -hmm. mastering, mastering pattern. Mm -hmm. Then we go on to Street's Disciple, which is, these are important words for you. Before there was rap music, there was this this different way of using the English language. You know, there's certain neighborhoods spin the words around a lot different than others. Italians say different things. Irish oh, say different oh, things. Oh. Jamaicans, forget about it. They got right. a whole different way of, of spinning words around. Well, um, that's spinning words as though they're, it's a record. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, everything is rhythm. I think everything's always moving everything. The world's always rotating, nothing is still. So, you know, I talk from that point of view, that uh, that that language around uh, my neighborhood that everybody uses, you know? And I don't even recognize an outside world, mm -hmm. especially back then. When I say speak with criminal slang, that's really a nice way of um, describing the language around me. Mm -hmm. The slang is not all criminal slang. All slang is not criminal slang, but criminal slang is like a step further, right? So I, I feel like slang is I'm chilling, I'm cool, you know? Criminal slang is when you, it's almost coded. It's almost so that you talk in ways where people don't know what you're talking about. And um, I, I, there's something dark and something mysterious and something um, dangerous about that. And I'm. I'm explaining myself to the listener. You know, I'm like, this is the first time anybody's gonna hear me. It's my first album. And I'm explaining to you who, how I see myself, how I want you to see me. I'm a disciple of the streets. Like this is, the streets is my world, it's everything. And I'm from it. I'm of it. I love it.